0: Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast that's designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I'm your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source for all types of information regarding wellness, rejuvenating, positive psychology, and becoming the best version of yourself that you can become. As listeners to the podcast know, uh, we tend to feature very interesting guests who are not only informative, but also lead their lives with enthusiasm and can help us to develop different ways of approaching leading a positive lifestyle throughout the age span. Today's guest is no different. We are very, very fortunate to have Roy Cook. Roy is the author of A Fool's Errand, Why Your Goals Are Falling Short and What You Can Do About It. And I'm very honored to have Roy here the day before his book actually goes out on Amazon. So by the time you listen to the podcast, you'll be in a position to purchase it. And I think when you hear the podcast, you'll know why it's a good idea. Roy's educational background is in mathematics and engineering physics, but he spent his early career as a marketing manager for Procter and Gamble in Cincinnati. He later became an entrepreneur and ran a national marketing company that dealt with top 50 blue chip companies. Roy's professional life has undergone many evolutions, but he has retained a long-standing interest in how individuals can best achieve fulfillment and peace of mind. The principles that he's developed helped him to retire just 11 years after starting his own company. And now, Roy, in retirement, aside from writing the book, he lives in a small town in Northern California with his wife and their three cats. Roy, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real,
1: real pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure for me, too. Well, let's get
0: started, because I did have the opportunity to read an advanced copy of your book. Really excited by what I read and really excited about spreading your words uh, to the the audience. I particularly got interested when I saw the title, particularly the subtitle, the title being Fool's Errand," but the subtitle, Why Your Goals are falling short, and what you can do about it. As the person who founded Goal Achieving Psychology, um, I kind of wondered, you know, can you tell me about goals that I don't already know? And one of the interesting things was to be aware of the fact that you don't start with goals. So uh, reading the, the manuscript, let me know that you're not against goals. You're just saying that something is more
1: important than that. So why don't you tell us what what that really important thing is? It's values. Uh, Let me uh, address goals for a second. Uh, What I noticed a few years ago is that almost everything on uh, sites like medium.com are written about goals and life hacks, how you get certain things achieved. And I always wonder, how do these people know what the right goals for me are or anybody? Because each one of us is different. We come from a different background. Our marriage is different. Our education is different. Our values are different. Uh, Our friends are different. How could anyone pick goals for someone else that's reading their article? And the answer, as far as I'm concerned, is they can't. It's an individual thing. And the problem with goals is this. People have fun setting goals because the planning is easy. But when it t- comes time to carry it out, that's when we have our problems because we have to be motivated. We find out uh, there are obstacles there that we hadn't planned on, and, and and so on. So I began to ask myself a question: Well, what would make that easier? Well, if you knew that you had internal inherent values that had been there since youth, out of the four hundred values that exist, that maybe each of us have ten to twenty of them. And teaching this at a local college over the past decade, I found that's about true. Had ten to twenty. Internal values like spirituality or integrity or creativity. If you picked your goals only based upon the values you had, then you wouldn't have a problem with motivation. You wouldn't get into the a goal fulfillment part and wear out because you had no idea it was going to take five years to do this. You had to work on it four hours a day. Uh, the problem is getting the motivation, and willpower is a much discussed, unreliable ally. First of all, it flags every afternoon for humans. And secondly, it just isn't the way to succeed. Ideally, you want good, solid habits that are built, achievement habits. But if you're working to achieve a goal that is consistent with a value that you have that's inherent within you, you're not going to have much of a problem with motivation. And when I discovered this for myself, I didn't invent it. It was discovered about 30 years ago by uh, two gentlemen. One of them is, famous Stephen R. Covey and the other one is Hiram Smith his partner when they wrote about it they would have thought that goals untethered to values is unthinkable and why would you do that and so my thought is I know how to find how each person can find the core values that are unique to them that have been with them since youth and from what I see don't change much in their life they stay the same and so once they find that and then they decide to say no to everything that's outside of there. They can focus on the 10 or 15 core values that make the difference of their life and not on other things. Just to take an example, maybe one last one. I don't have a value of creativity. It's, it's maybe my, I have 11 values. It could be my 12. I've, I've debated that for a long time. And there are a lot of tests in my book about this. If I were to, so I don't have interest a lot in painting, learning to paint or garden or things like that. But if I did have a value of integrity, something would be missing from my life if I probably wasn't trying to fulfill that value by having goals associated with it, like to build a beautiful garden, to paint. Although creativity could be forming the company like, like Ron's company. You know, that, that took creativity because not everybody would, uh, would, would think about having a, a business that's involved with podcasts and things like that. It might not occur to you. So basically, that's it. I admit that the the, uh, subtitle on the book, uh, Why Your Goals Are Falling Short and What You Can Do About It, that's meant to be a truth and and somewhat universal. And the answer is, don't start with goals. They're well up the productivity pyramid. On the lowest level is my why, who am I, my purpose in life. Then comes uh, values. Then comes goals. And last comes tasks. So if you have goals, I mean, I'm sorry, if you have values, you know what you're excited about, what will inherently excite you. So if you pick any goal that has to do with a value, you're going to go a lot further than if you pick a goal that somebody else gave you or you read about has nothing to do with your values. Well, this makes a lot of sense, except it raises a kind of a
0: dumb question in my mind. I think I can pretty well define goals or identify what we mean when we talk about goals. Uh, value seems a little more ambiguous to me what what is a value Uh, how do we define values and what how do we uh determine those things
1: they are a little vague uh that's why i put in uh, chapter two of my book i have 400 values and i suggest the way people find their values is to go through there first of all and just circle the ones that sound good to them. They just think that their values, not the ones that they'd like to have or that their dad wanted them to have or their mother, but just sound right and get that list down to about 30 or 40. And then I have what I call the little helpers of about 15 ways you can start thinking about them. One of them, I'll give you one as an example. You go to a room and the room is full of people, kind of somber people. All your friends, the people you work with, your relatives in there, they're milling around and in the middle of the room is a coffin. And so you walk over to the coffin and you look in and, God, it's me. Here's my question. You're going to hear eulogies in a few minutes. What would you like them to say? Because it's been my experience that eulogies given at uh, funerals pretty much are accurate in terms of reflecting somebody's values. In other words, Joe could get everything. he, He could fix anything. The guy was remarkable. You could take him any kind of tool, an old computer, a television set, and he could make it work. Or so-and-so, June, was always giving back. My God, she gave to everybody in the society. She went down, she worked the soup kitchen at Christmas. She was a real giver in her life, and that impressed me. Those reflect values. Now, once it's your funeral, it's a little too late to live that, but that pretense can probably give you values. Or you've had something happen, as all of us have in our life, where a friend has done something to you that really upsets you, really bothers you. Probably a, a, a core value is being stepped on. Like, if you have a core value of integrity, and I do have a core value of integrity, and if somebody lied to me, just out flat, in, flat out lied, and they were a good friend of mine, I would have a problem with that. You know, we'd have to meet and talk about it, but I'd have a problem. And not everybody has a core value of integrity. If you've been around long enough, you know that that's not true. So that's not a universal value that everybody has. In fact, well, my own I- personal opinion is that that's held by a minority of people. I mean, true integrity, down the line integrity. So. The guys that wrote this initially believed that core values came at birth. They were both spiritual guys. I am a spiritual person too, but I'm I'm not sure about that. I'll have to ask him if I ever get a chance to chat with him. But I know one thing, they don't seem to change much after childhood. Now, I, I've read um, about people that have been in prison war camps, like uh, Frankl. And somebody could say... Uh, well, wait a minute, Roy, if you're in a prison or war camp and you're in there for a year, couldn't you have changed values? I don't have an answer to that. Uh, that experience is so severe, so impactful. You're talking life or death that it, it could possibly add a value or change one. I just don't know. But what I do know is that they're inherently within you and you feel them. They're closest to your heart. So when you get them, you'll know they're right. You, you can kind of live with them. And my book addresses, well, can't somebody just pick up a value? No, they can't. If if I'm a person with no integrity, I can't have a value of integrity. I can try to have more integrity. It just isn't in me. It's not part of my spirit. I I don't I don't think of it that way. If I'm if I have a creativity core, if I don't, I can't develop a creativity core value. I mean, I could be more creative and maybe I could get fun painting and a garden. I could tell my wife, I enjoyed gardening. Thank you for showing me. But I don't have a passion for it. If it's a value that's within you, it's closest to your heart, and you will see that you have a passion. What if I'm wrong? You're, you waste a couple of months. You find out. Well, it didn't work for you. But I'm but I'm not wrong about this. Well, I'm wondering
0: there. There's some things I look through your list of values, and I see, for example, fitness is is a value, uh, which yeah. I think is one of mine. But I guess I'm wondering if somebody if a patient comes to me and is a uh, 65-year-old, obese smoker who leads a sedentary life, lifestyle and wants to get more fit. What should my advice to him be that did, I'd hate to discourage him because I said, you know you would by now, if it was really a value, you'd have been more fit. I'd say that with respect to a lot of things, I guess even you've mentioned integrity a few times even somebody saying, you know, I got caught up in this uh, rat race and I was in a business where it was take no prisoners or whatever, I, I'd like to change. What's what's the
1: advice to somebody like that? Well, here's what the advice isn't. You've spent some time on this. You've found out that fitness and integrity are not your core values, let's say. So the advice wouldn't be, look, it's not your core value, so don't work on it at all. Don't worry about it. It would just be easier Or someone that has a core value of fitness or health to work on core value. It's inherent in them. The other person is going to have the normal struggle that you have when you set a goal that is really tough. Like I'm going to climb 10 mountains or something like that. They would have a struggle with it because it isn't a a core value. And integrity, especially would be tough. It's not in them, but they still, if somebody were to say, well, shouldn't they live a life of integrity? Yeah, of course they should. But they may have more of a problem than people that have it in, uh, as part of a core value. A person that has integrity as a core value is probably not gonna lie very much, if at all. They're just not gonna do it. They're, they're not gonna, if you invite them over for dinner, prob- they're not gonna make up something. No, I have another engagement. Knowing full well, you won't ever say, well, what is that engagement? But they'll probably say something else that's true. Like, I'm sorry, I can't come out of other plans. I don't mean that plan is not to come to dinner with you. The plan could be to read a book or to spend time with my wife at home, but they're going to be honest about it. They're not going to, and they're not going to have any problem with saying to you, I better, let me call you back tomorrow. You don't want to do that, have that kind of guilt playing on you a little bit. You just have something that's ready when you don't want to do that, which is I have other plans. That's honest and truthful. So if you don't have a core value, but you need work in that area like health, it's just going to be more of a struggle than a person that has that core value. And naturally. Likes to get into everything is healthful. Food, exercise, calisthenics, stretching, just loves to do that. You know, does a lot of yoga. They're into yoga all the time. That's going to be a problem if somebody doesn't have a value like that. Some of the words that are in among the 400, I actually question, are they really uh, values like fitness? Uh, I've forgotten that was in there. I mean, to my mind, health would definitely be a core value. Fitness, I guess it could be, you know, it's in there. So we'll just say it is. But it sounds like something that, that you do, whereas health, we know could be a value. There are people who are very concerned about their health. It's something they value highly. It's a difficult thing to talk about though, because you could say, well, shouldn't everybody value their health and fitness? Yeah, they probably should. But just like integrity too. Shouldn't everybody have integ- value integrity? Yes, but we don't all have integrity.
0: The issue of integrity has come up a few times since we started talking and I believe that's really played an important role in your journey. Um, so I, I wonder if you'd just take a couple of minutes and run by. I mentioned the fact that your your uh, education was in math and science and so on, and then you moved into marketing. But you're doing something quite a bit different at this point, and yeah. I believe that integrity has had a major role in. Yeah, getting to be where you are. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your, your journey uh,
1: so, so we can understand you a little more. So I went to school in Oregon in engineering physics and math. The reason I did engineering physics is because I said, what's the toughest thing I could take in college? In other words, I was kind of an imbecile. I was told engineering physics and I took it. And I didn't like it. And um, all of the people, that, the people that I were in classes with were smarter than me. I mean, these are rocket science people. And they were so bright. It was very tough. So I began looking around. I went forward and, and got my degree in math. But I came close to flunking a couple of places because engineering physics is the toughest theory courses in physics, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, math. It was a bear. And so somehow I got in an advertising honorary and I became interested. Then I interviewed with Procter and & Gamble and went for them for seven, with seven years. They were the apple of their day. It was the best company to work for. My boss was from uh, Yale, and his boss was from Princeton, and so the con- and I was from I don't want to say lowly, but I'll just say Oregon State. It's not University of Pennsylvania, it's not the other. So I had to compete at kind of a high level. And then I didn't want to stay in Cincinnati. I'm a West Coast guy, so I moved to San Francisco, got another job, and uh, after about five years in that job, I had a job where I could sell. And I had worked with a company in Oregon and sold them something that would go on for years. And so I would have to get commissions every year. Well, the president of that company had not seen something like that and he didn't like it. So he made the business a company account after the first year. Roy, we'll give you your commission the first year. From then on, it's a company account. So I quit on the spot because, and to to be fair, I mean, he had to understand that I might quit. So he probably felt, well, I can lose this guy if he quits. I mean, it wasn't like he would coveted me or he would have never done something like that. So I, and I started another company and, um, I did that because of integrity. Had I stayed, they would have known they owned me and could do anything they wanted with me. And I just go along because I was earning pretty good money. What the hell? So why not take Roy's money and move it to the bottom line? All those commissions we were going to pay out. He's not going to work, work for it after this, uh, so I was with another company, and they asked me to sign a deposition 18 years later, a New York-based marketing company. I was still in San Francisco r- running that office. And um, they asked me to sign a deposition about something I had no knowledge of, and I started having panic attacks at night. I'd go to bed, and a half an hour afterwards, almost exactly, I lived in a high-rise in San Francisco. I'd leap up. up I can't breathe. I'd run to the window. I'd throw open in the window and get some air. And it scared the hell out of my wife and I. I thought I was dying. I hope I didn't say every night. That happened several times a week. And I went to every kind of doctor I could go to. And I finally went to a psychiatrist, my first one. I sit down. Five minutes later, he said, I know exactly what your problem is. I said, that's just great. What is it? He said, you have integrity and they don't. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, they're asking you to do something unethical. They know it's unethical. The guy even told me, Roy, we know you're an honest guy, but this is business. Right? As though business was outside the realm of ethics. And so um, after wrestling with it with the psychiatrist, he said, he said, just from what you tell me, there's probably no answer to you, Roy. You're having such a strong reaction to it. You're going to have to do something else. So the interesting thing is at that time, I was working on my core values. I knew I had 11. So I said, well, here's an acid test. I took out a sheet of paper. And on the, in the left column, I wrote one through 11 and wrote out what the core value is. Then column two was this current company in marketing. And column three, as I, I thought a little bit about it before I did this, maybe a week. And I said, I'll be an entrepreneur because a friend of mine who was an entrepreneur said, the reason I'm an entrepreneur is I like to make my own mistakes. And of course, that rang a bell with me. I've been listening to companies want to do something with me that, w- that was unethical. Couldn't make my own mistakes. So I put entrepreneur down there. Then I went across each one on a scale of zero to 10. How would I honor that core value in each of those positions? the current one and the future one. Acknowledging that the future one is a grass is greener. So I'm naturally going to probably rate it a little higher. I'm in a very bad situation. And I added all 11 numbers up for both columns and the entrepreneurial was more than double the other one. Clearly I was in the wrong field, even if if the integrity hadn't been an issue. So I left, I became an entrepreneur and the panic attacks went away. And 11 years later, I retired. And Stephen Covey and uh, and his uh, pal and partner, Hiram Smith, wrote in their book that if you learn your core values and live your life based upon them, you will find peace of mind and fulfillment. Now, that's a that's a long way of saying happiness. And I did find that was true. And I have that now, a peace of mind and fulfillment. And what I learned later is that I got financial independence from it because I was working in in areas that I really love. Everything I was doing was honoring my core values. I didn't do anything outside of it. And I went down to visit Hiram Smith, uh, who lived in Southern Utah a little over a year ago. He had just a few weeks to live. And I talked with him. He died three weeks later. I talked with him. I'm not going to talk much about this. It's a very emotional subject with me. But he, I told him the way my book was going to end with one of his sayings. and said, dedicated to Hiram Smith, a man who changed my life. But he, I asked him about that, said, you don't tend to address this wealth thing very much, but do you believe also that somebody could develop financial independence from this? And he said, yes, it happened for both my partner and I. And I told him, well, it happened for me too. I'm a little careful in my book about that because I think to succeed in business or some other field requires some other talents like people skills, uh, really good use of objectives, courage, because I had to have courage twice, I wouldn't even have left uh, and become an entrepreneur. And since then, I've learned from entrepreneurs. Almost everyone I met became an entrepreneur for one of two reasons. Either it was in their family or friends, they were around that environment, which I wasn't, or they had a very bad thing happen to them and they didn't want it to happen again. So that's why I became an entrepreneur. And the financial part of it was just because I did work hard to develop other talents uh, and they worked. My company worked, which was more or less going to these big companies and helping them introduce their products nationally. We found couple ways to do that that were very effective and would save them money. Well, Does that answer your question? It's a long-winded answer, but that's... Yeah, it definitely answers it and it helps to explain why you're such a good role model for for
0: values and, uh, well, and for you. knowing your values. We typically run out of time before we run out of questions. So there's one I do want to ask uh, because it came up in your book and it impressed me. Not exactly sure how it tied in with values and all, but I was just impressed about well i guess it was because learning is a value but you yeah. spoke of learning versus entertainment uh oh yeah and uh <laughs> i wonder if the, before we quit you can give us that because i thought that was really profound and i
1: well i'm glad to hear that ron well, let me just say it right off it's a bias of mine and so somebody were to say well you're really you really are opinionated about this I, I would agree here's what i've noticed as i was writing this book and just thinking about it, i noticed there two kinds of people. I, once you say that, you get in trouble with people because you're categorizing. But I'm going to say, I've noticed that some people when they get out of college, when they stop their learning, their primary focus is to be entertained the rest of their life. Meaning they want parties, they want football games. And you know, there's a football game going on here in a few minutes. So I'm going to watch that. So I understand that. And I like to watch film noir on TV, but I tend not to watch the nightly news and stuff. So they want to be entertained. There's another group that wants to primarily learn. And the reason that other group has a huge advantage over the first group, not, not exclusively entertained, but primarily, they, the first group might want to learn a little bit. But here's why the second group of learning has a huge advantage. Because to, in order to get, get far in life, you have to overcome obstacles. How do you do that? You grow, you change. How do you change? Learning's the only way I know. You learn. How do you learn? You learn by reading, by learning. Can you learn with your experiences? Yes. But if you're a non-reader, there's a famous quote that uh, readers learn from thousands of lives. Non-readers learn from one. Now, they, they can learn from their friends and so on, but that's basically true. They, they can get inside of thousands of people and they can learn an immense amount. So when I'd go back to college, I noticed there was a group that hadn't changed at all, I thought. They were still around there telling the same jokes and so on. And when they talked, I... Could see what their interests were, and then there was another group that learned and were better read, and so on. Uh, most people that I met in my life do not read a lot. So, the average American, uh, the median American, reads four or one to four books a year. The median American is on social uh, media, two plus hours a day. Those are not the people I'm after. But you're not going to get very far in life without it. maybe maybe a little luck. So, I believe probably the most biased thing I'm going to say is I I think that the, the group that wants to be entertained makes up 70 to 90% of, man, of the population and the 10 to 30 make up the other group. Now, the good news there is if you're a competitor, these other people have bowed out of the competition. Some of them will succeed at a high level, but, but most of them are out of the a competition. And so that's good news. Am I right about the percentages? Probably I'm off on that. But in my life, I've met very few well-read people uh, that, that read a lot. Here at a local university, where I sometimes teach, everybody there is better read than me. You know, they're all better read than me, far better read. So it's impressive. And and it gets my attention. It's one of the things that
0: I've seen in, in my work, uh, particularly with older adults, that there really is a, a real discrete difference between people who are actively aging and those who are passively aging. And I think uh-huh. it not only is the matter of uh, learning versus entertainment, but I think, at least my own unscientific uh, observations, and I think there's research to back it up, is that the people who tend to be actively involved tend to be healthier as they grow older. They tend to can't always ward off things like Alzheimer's, but they, they keep their minds active longer, they stay socially connected more. And generally, you know, they're a different category. And I think that it pays off
1: with longevity and with with enhanced longevity. They could be active by giving back to their society. and Maybe they're not big readers, but they're doing something else that's really good. Uh, Could I mention one more thing? Sure. I lived in San Francisco for 40 years. There's a a BART in San Francisco, Bay Area Rapid Transit, that takes you out to the suburbs. But one day and lived in the city. But one day I took BART, uh, well, more than one day, but one I remember, I took BART to East Bay at 5.30. This is when all the commuters would go home. And everybody on that bus was asleep. Everybody. Mm -hmm. And I began thinking about that. I said, this has to have some meaning. They can't all be tired. And so here's my conclusion. I felt that they're living a life they're not happy with. They're, they're not aware of their core values. They haven't tried to honor them. And I, I may not have even known of core values at that time I did that, but they're, they're not living a meaningful life or else why would they be that way? Why would they be, and I see that on airplanes too now, there I know it can be less oxygen or something, but where people go to sleep every night on the way home, that doesn't sound exciting to me. It certainly doesn't sound like a motivated life based upon living things in concert with the 15 or 10 core values you have within you that really had impact on me. Now, I'm not blaming them. You know, it took me a long while to find core values. In fact, early 90s, I I made that change at 53. So I didn't know anything about core values prior to that, prior to age 53. Through your book, I
0: suspect a lot more people can, you know, learn about it, can incorporate it, and lead healthier and more successful lives Uh, So that brings up the obvious question of where can they get your book since it's going to be available tomorrow?
1: Well, it'll be available tomorrow at Amazon. Probably almost all the sales will go there in the form of a Kindle, softcover, hardcover. At the moment, I haven't uh, had it made in Audible, although that's my preferred way of reading because I do a lot of walking out here. I'm in a Mm. rural area. But um, Amazon would be the way.
0: Okay, and they can get the various both either a physical book or ebook. Uh, yes, great. that's terrific and and assuming uh as I'm sure is a, is a pretty good assumption that some people will be moved to want to question you
1: more or comment or stuff like that, is there a way that they can can yeah, uh, I would suggest you? I would suggest they go to medium.com M-E-D-I-U-M.com. dot com and uh, I blog in there a fair amount. In fact, I've taken my whole book and serialized it in a blog. I'm in the process of finishing that up. I've got about 16 blogs out of 25 that are submitted. So they'll be submitted there three three a week. I left out one. And mm-hmm. that's chapter two that tells you how to do it, how to find <laughs> your values. Because I wanted to have some incentive out there for someone yeah. to buy the book. Yeah. But if they go in there and they read uh, any of these things, they can respond to me. Or they can just go directly to my name. And and then look for the, if they know the title of the book, A Fool's Errand, and my name, they're going to be able to find me. And I'm, I'm happy to respond to them. I'm excited about this field. I like to talk to people about it. Great. And
0: uh, all this information will also be on the show notes when uh, we post the episode. So in addition to them picking up this information verbally, they can look at the show notes and that will reinforce how to contact you. So Roy, it has, I expected this to be a really interesting and exciting uh, interview. It has been, I learned a whole lot. I have to start acting on some of this stuff. Uh, You did it, you started doing it at 53. Uh, I hope I've done some of it in a less organized fashion by the time I got to this age, but I've got uh, a a few years on when you, when you learned it. So I got some catching up to do. But it's been absolutely delightful to interact with you, to learn from you, and I want to wish you the very best of success on your book as it gets out to the public and you spread your teachings to the world. Thank you, Ron. I've enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. And this has been Dr. Ron Kaiser with the podcast called Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. And if you didn't gain something today that can help you move forward with enthusiasm, I guess you better rewind and start listening again because there's lots of great information. I hope that you will uh, subscribe to the podcast, download, uh, rate this episode, and be back next week when we'll have another really interesting guest. Until then, I hope you'll Visit the website, the Mental Health Gym, and I will also be looking forward to any comments or suggestions for future guests. Most importantly, lead your lives enthusiastically, stay positive, and if you haven't gotten the book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, while you're visiting Amazon for Roy's book, you can pick up that one too. Take care. Very best of luck to everybody, and we'll talk in a week.